This morning's service has included communion. We've celebrated the Lord's Supper together. It's something we do every Sunday, mostly in the evening and monthly in the morning. But today is slightly different because the sermon is also about communion, about the Lord's Supper. On Sunday mornings, we're in Mark's Gospel doing a series of sermons we've called Good News in a Bad News World. And yes, we do live in a bad news world. There is bad news, and the worst news is uh, that we are sinners and that we have fallen short of the glory of God. But there is also good news. Praise God, there is good news. And the best news is that the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, is the Savior of all who trust in Him. Well, this week we come to Mark chapter 14. Uh, we've just read the first part of the chapter uh, together. And we focus for the message from God's word uh, this morning upon the last few verses uh, that we read. Our text, Mark chapter 14, and the verses from 22 to uh, 26. Mark 14, verses 22 to uh, 26. Where the Lord Jesus Christ is at the last Supper. He's with his disciples in the upper room celebrating the Passover uh, the night before his uh, crucifixion. And there at the Last Supper, he institutes the Lord's Supper, communion, what we've been celebrating uh, this morning. As Christians remembering Christ's Calvary sacrifice by eating bread and uh, a drinking wine together. We'll call the message from God's word this morning. With Jesus at his table. With Jesus at his table. And we want to think just a little from these verses before us. About what communion signifies. And at how the Lord's Supper illustrates what Jesus offers the salvation he offers to any and uh, to all. Three things. Number one, with Jesus at his table, there's healing. Verse 22, there's healing. Verse 22, and as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them and said, Take, eat, this is my body. This verse records for us five actions of uh, Jesus there in the upper room with his disciples. He takes the bread. He blesses the bread. He breaks the bread. He gives the bread. And he speaks about the bread. Jesus takes the bread. He sets it apart for uh, this distinct uh, purpose as he himself 
was set apart in eternity for the distinct purpose of coming into the world to save sinners. Jesus blesses the bread that it might fulfill its purpose as he was about to fulfill his purpose as he would head to Calvary and as he would go uh, to the cross. Jesus breaks the bread as his body was about to be broken. Christ at Calvary allowing him, his body to be broken in order that we broken sinners might be made whole. Jesus gives the bread for his disciples to take and uh, to eat as symbolic of their faith in him. That just as they take and eat the bread, so they take hold of him to be their saviour for now and uh, forever. And this too, Jesus speaks about the bread. He says to his disciples, take, eat, this is my body. Not literally, of course. Jesus was there with them. In his body. But this is my body. In that it uh, represents my body. What has happened to this bread. As I have taken it and broken it. Is what is about to happen to uh, me. But central to what Jesus does here. In verse 22. Is breaking the bread. The central one of these five actions that Mark highlights for us in his record. Jesus breaking the bread. Impressing upon us that we are broken. We are all broken. We're all broken on account of our sin. Our sin has broken us and if we are to be healed then he must be broken this is the gospel message this is the good news that Jesus body was broken for our sins on the cross as it's put elsewhere in the New Testament he bore our sins in his body on the tree. So with Jesus at his table, there's healing. The message of this supper, the message of this table, is that we don't have to be broken forever. We can be made whole. We can be complete in Jesus Christ because of his life and his death and his resurrection. With Jesus at his table, there's healing. Secondly, this morning, with Jesus at his table, there's cleansing. Verses 23, 24, and 25. There's cleansing. Verse 23, then he took the cup 
And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many. Assuredly, I say to you, I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Again, Mark records for us here five actions taken by Jesus there in the upper room with his disciples. He takes the cup. He gives thanks for the cup. He gives the cup. With his disciples they drink the cup. And then as with the bread, so with the wine, he speaks about the cup. Jesus, he takes the cup as he took the bread, setting it apart for a distinct purpose. He gives thanks for the cup, setting an example to his disciples and to all of us who would follow that we should give thanks for the cup. And for all that it represents, the precious blood of Christ so freely shed for us. Jesus gives the cup as he gave the bread. Just as he gave the bread that they might take and eat. So he gives the cup that they might take and drink. Symbolic of their faith in him, his broken body, his shed blood to purchase their salvation. The disciples take and eat, that's particularly emphasized here. Uh, Take and drink, rather, that's particularly emphasized here in uh, Mark's record of the cup. They'd taken and eaten the bread. We're not told that expressly, but clearly they had. But now they, they take and they drink the cup. And Jesus speaks about the cup. He does so at slightly greater length than he did about the bread. And particularly he uses three key phrases. He says, speaks of my blood, he speaks of the new covenant, and he speaks of his blood being shed for many. Verse 24, he said to them, this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many. And each of these three phrases is highly significant and we need to spend just a moment on each one. Jesus talks about my blood. We read the Old Testament and the history of God's people in the Old Testament is full of blood. If we can say this reverently, the pages of the Old Testament are dripping with the blood of the sacrificial system. But Jesus speaks now. His blood. His blood. The blood of the Messiah. Spoken of elsewhere as the blood of God. Unique. Not in the sense that there was anything particularly distinct about this blood. Scientifically, chemically, whatever the right term is. Uh, compared with anybody else's blood, but unique in terms of whose blood it was. This is the blood of the Son of God, 
This is the blood of the Savior of the world. This is the blood that can do what the blood of all those animals and beasts in the Old Testament under the Old Covenant could never do. This is the blood of the Savior. The Savior's precious blood. Jesus talks about my blood. He talks about the new covenant. He says this is my blood of the new covenant. There was an old covenant. A term used to uh, cover Old Testament history. And the various covenants of of Old Testament times. But the old covenant was, was typical. It was, if you like, a picture, an illustration. It pointed forward to something else. And so now Jesus speaks of the new covenant. This is my blood of the new covenant. Because the new covenant is reality. The old covenant pointed forward to the Savior who would come and to the salvation that he would achieve... The new covenant speaks of the Savior who has come and of the salvation that he did achieve upon Calvary's cross. And so Jesus says, this is my blood of the new covenant. Here is reality. Here is the Savior of the world. Here is the way to have our sins forgiven, peace with God, and to be sure of entrance into heaven. Jesus talks about my blood. He talks about the new covenant. And he also talks about his blood being shed for many. This is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for many. And we can understand this in at least two complementary ways. It is shed for many in the sense that as another scripture puts it, he is the saviour of a great multitude uh, which uh, no one could number. Shed for many. When Jesus died upon the cross, he didn't die for a handful in a corner. But he died for a multitude from all down the generations and all across the nations which none of us could possibly begin to count. Shed for many. But there's another emphasis here. Shed for many in the sense that it wasn't just shed for the Jews, for the one nation who were particularly blessed under the old covenant and from whom Messiah came, but for many, for all the nations of the world. This international saviour making his international sacrifice and purchasing an international salvation for many. So Jesus says to his disciples, this is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for many to wash away our sins. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. You see, with Jesus at his table, there's cleansing. Another scripture reminds us, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. In other words, there can be no forgiveness of our sins by God without blood being shed to pay the price for our sin. But the good news this table points us to is that the blood of the Lamb of God has been shed. 
And because Jesus has died, we can live. And because his blood has been shed, we can be washed. And we can be cleansed. And we can be made new from all the filth and all the depravity of our lives. With Jesus at his table, there's cleansing. Are you still with me? We've said with Jesus at his table, there's healing. And with Jesus at his table, there's cleansing. Now, number three. With Jesus at his table, there's rejoicing. Verse 26. There's rejoicing. We mustn't miss verse 26. And when they, that is Jesus and his disciples, had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Now the first question most people want to know the answer to is what hymn? What hymn did they sing? Well it wasn't amidst us our beloved stands because Spurgeon hadn't written it by that point. Nor was it how deep the Father's love for us because Townend hadn't got round to writing that yet either. In all probability it was Psalm 118 the last of what are known as the Hallel Psalms, Psalms 113 to 118, which were commonly sung at the time of the Passover meal. But the emphasis here, the thing we should be concerned about, the thing we need to get a hold upon this morning, it is not so much what they sang, what Jesus sang here with his disciples, but that they did sing. No doubt, his disciples didn't understand fully the significance of what had just happened as Jesus had his last supper with them, as he instituted the Lord's Supper, as he sought to prepare them for the events of the following day, and as they sang together whatever precisely it was that they sang. But there's no doubt that Jesus understood. He's going to Calvary. He knows that. Within hours he'll be crucified. He knows that. This time tomorrow he'll be dead. He knows that. And yet, he can sing. And he encourages his disciples to sing. Why? Because, my friends, the cross means we can sing. The cross means we can sing. If Jesus could sing as he went to the cross, then we can sing. As we face our cross experiences. We shall not have to bear anything the like of which he bore. But if he could sing as he faced up to the reality of Calvary the very next day. Then if our faith and our trust is in him. We too can sing whatever we may ever have to face. And understand that this is not just about Jesus setting us an example. He is doing that. He's setting us an example. That whatever 
Whatever the future holds, we can sing. But it's not just about him setting us an example. It's about him empowering us. It's about the fact that because he died, we can live. And because he died and also, of course, rose again, though we're particularly emphasizing the death this morning because that's the emphasis of our passage. But because he died and rose again, we can sing. This isn't just some kind of mind over matter. Well, you know, bad stuff happens, but sing anyway. No, this is Jesus saying. He's dealt with it all at the cross. And because he's dealt with it all at the cross, we can sing. Because he conquered death. With Jesus at his table, there's rejoicing. We can sing always in everything, whatever, come what may. With Jesus at his table, there's rejoicing. We can sing because of Calvary. Even when we find ourselves facing our own cross experience. Even when the burdens we have to carry in life seem very great and and very heavy. Still, we can sing. Let me ask you, my friend, this morning. What do you know of this joy? Of this cleansing? Of this healing. All these things are pictured. With Jesus at his table. All these things are offered to you. By the Savior in the gospel. This morning. When you turn from yourself. And from your own efforts. To be good enough for God. And to gain entrance into heaven. And when you turn to the Lord Jesus Christ and trust not in yourself but in him and not in your own efforts but in his accomplishments, the cross and the empty tomb. With Jesus at his table, there is healing, there is cleansing and there is rejoicing. And you can be healed this morning. And you can be cleansed today. And you can rejoice today and tomorrow and this week and forever. Because Jesus died that you might live.